I'll be reading this morning from Deuteronomy 8, 1 through 3. Deuteronomy 8, 1 through 3. Be careful to follow every command I am giving you today, so that you may live and increase and may enter the, and possess the land that the Lord promised on oath to your forefathers. Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the desert these 40 years to humble you and to test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. He humbled you, causing you to hunger and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your fathers had known, to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. We are not only glad that you're here this morning, but we hope that you would be interested in coming back tonight for our 6 p.m. service. We meet each Sunday at 6 p.m. and we worship God again just as we're doing this morning and we would like for you to be a part of that worship service. When Moses spoke the words that are recorded in Deuteronomy 8, the Israelites were facing a time of transition Changes were coming, and not minor changes, major changes. And not only would they soon be in a new land to call their home, but they would also have a new leader who would be replacing Moses. And because of those changes that were coming, Moses had some things that needed to be said before those changes took place. Beginning in Deuteronomy 5, when Moses calls the people together to give them a lot of information that they need to know, you see a number of you shalls and you shall nots, that is at least in the New King James Version. When you reach Deuteronomy 8 verse 2, Moses has given from chapter 5 to this point 22 you shall nots and 21 you shalls. Things you must not do, things you must do. And when you come to Deuteronomy 8 verse 2, we this morning want to focus on another you shall. You shall remember. You shall remember. Keep in mind, if you will, that Moses spoke these words from the fullness of his heart to a people that he loved deeply. You have to believe that Moses loved his people or he would not have gone through what he went through to be with his people. Here in Deuteronomy 8, he reaches back to the past to help them to prepare for the future. And Moses understood, I think, the importance of the word remember. He, he knew that the proper use of memory could help them during that time of transition that was ahead for them. And Moses understood that events of the past could not only encourage them at that very moment, but could also help them as the path to the future would be lighted for them. 
Moses was also aware that memory can be selective. It certainly is, isn't it? What people choose to remember can either help them or hurt them. Somebody chooses to remember good things and hopeful things and encouraging things from the past, that can be helpful. Remembering all of the bad things, all of the difficulties, all of the slights and hurts can be harmful. As I was preparing this lesson, I thought about a woman that I knew many years ago, not here. A pleasant enough woman. I felt sorry for her, though, because her husband had died. And all she was remembering was how badly he had treated her on several occasions. It didn't help her. It only hurt her. And it weighed down her spiritual life. So, so Moses chooses to carefully explain what they were to remember and why they were to recall it. It's interesting that the Hebrew word that is translated remember in our text literally means to mark. It, it, it suggests a point on a map or a place to which attention is drawn on a chart. It's like, here it is. Remember. This, this is the place, this is the thing to, to focus on. Now what does Deuteronomy 8 have to do with us? A lot. Because we're also facing a time of transition. Hopefully, the Lord willing, before long, we will have a new preacher who will be standing in this pulpit most of the time. And the change of preachers, the adding of one or the leaving of another, often is difficult because it's a time of transition. They can be, transitions can be challenging. Joshua was not Moses. And the land of promise was not the wilderness. These were going to be different uh, things now that would come to the children of Israel. But their experience of the past could help them, and that's why Moses wants them to remember. And just as their experiences could teach them, so they can teach us. What should we remember? Well, first of all, we need to remember God's part. You see, the Jews were called upon by Moses to remember God's deliverance. When you read through the Old Testament, it's interesting to see how many times God reminds his people that he rescued them, that he delivered them from captivity. And, and writers like David in Psalm 77 verse 20 said, you led your people like a flock. That is, you, you took your people like sheep, and indeed the great shepherd had led his sheep. Moses is sometimes called the deliverer of his people. Now he was effective and helpful in accomplishing that, but he wasn't the deliverer of his people. God was. 
And Moses would have never, I think, taken credit for the deliverance of his people when he understood God delivered them. When you and I read through the New Testament, we have a number of reminders of our deliverance from the bondage of sin. Ephesians 2 verse 1 speaks to us, And you he made alive when you were dead in trespasses and sin. God made us live again after we died through sin. I especially like 2 Corinthians 1 and verse 10. 2 Corinthians 1 verse 10, because Paul writes of God, who delivered us from so great a death and does deliver us, in whom we trust that he will still deliver us. Notice God's deliverance. Past, he has delivered us. Present, he is delivering us. Future, he will deliver us. God is in all three tenses. Look again at Deuteronomy 8, verse 2. And you shall remember that the Lord your God led you all the way these 40 years. Moses argues again and again that God was constantly guiding his people. Back at Deuteronomy 1, verse 33, in the very first chapter of Deuteronomy, he said this of God. Who went in the way before you to search out a place for you to pitch your tents, to show you the way you should go in the fire by night and in the cloud by day. And I think it's a mistake, and we sometimes do it accommodatively, but we call what happened to the Jews after leaving Egypt the wilderness wanderings. And what that may convey to some people is the idea that these were just haphazard moving arounds of the people. They, they just kind of drifted from one place to another, not ever knowing where they were going. But it wasn't. Because you see, God was always there and he was always in charge and he was always leading them in the way he should go. You and I can look back over the history of this church and I believe that we can honestly say that we've seen God's hand in so many situations. And whether the days were bright and happy or whether they were gloomy and sometimes depressing, God was always there. I think we recall Paul's words with, from Romans 8.28 and we love to make them our own. And we know, if Paul says, I know, and he wants us to know, we know that all things work together for good to those who love God and to those who are called according to his purpose. In verse 3 of Deuteronomy 8, Moses wrote that God fed them with manna. So God not only led them, he fed them. He supplied their needs. If you look at verse 4 of Deuteronomy 8, it says, Your garments did not wear out, nor did your foot swell these 40 years. So here is manna, here is what you wear on your feet, uh, here, here is your garments lasting. Boy, I tell you what, if, if parents could get their kids clothes to last 40 years, they'd really be happy, wouldn't they? 
God made sure that the children of Israel's garments lasted and they, that they were fed for 40 years. Now, the focus here is on necessities. These are necessities. And, and we know that there was much more than this. But the focus is on necessities. And God wants to understand, I gave you what you needed. I gave you what you needed. And he did this in spite of the fact that his people were so many times imperfect and ungrateful. He did it anyway. The times when they grumbled and complained and tested God, he did not give up on them. He kept on feeding them and protecting them and leading them. I think we could rightly ask this morning as a congregation, what have we lacked? What have we lacked? We not only have what we need, we have so much more. As individuals and as a church, we have been tremendously blessed. And we ought never to forget that. But there's more to remember than just God's part. Because Moses wanted to remember, wanted the people to remember God's purpose as well. His deliverance, his leadership, his possessions, they all had a purpose. What was it? Well, in verse 2, he says it was to humble them. You shall remember that the Lord your God led you all the way these 40 years in the wilderness to humble you. Sadly, man seldom needs or feels the need to be humbled. We, we seldom say, boy, I really need to be humbled. Instead, we want to fuel our pride. We want to feel better than maybe we have a right to feel. And we know that pride leads to spiritual failure. Proverbs 16, verse 18 will always be true. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Pride will always lead to downfall, not to elevation. Pride could be a danger to these Jews. If they, if they stopped long enough and thought about the fact that God's always feeding us and He's always guiding us and He's always making sure our clothes don't wear out, they could have gotten proud about that as if it were them and as it were, if it were something special. What it really should have done as they picked up that manna each day was to remind them that God was providing them and they were not even providing their own food. They couldn't have stayed alive if God had not provided for them, and He did. Sometimes we may foolishly think that we're supplying all our own needs. We work hard and we get what we deserve to get because we work hard. If we feel that way, we're wrong. James would write in James 1 verse 17, every, listen, every good gift and perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. Do we acknowledge that every day? God, it's all yours. What you give us is not ours, it's yours. Thank you for letting us have what is yours. 
Second, God wanted to test them, not only to humble them, but to test them or to prove them. Verse 2 says that. And the testing would come this way. Would His people submit to His commands? Would they indeed follow His leadership? Would they accept His will for their lives? We ask ourselves the same question. What about us? What is in our hearts? Is it surrender or is it rebellion? Is it I will do whatever God wants me to do? I will yield to His will or do we want to do our own will? A third lesson in verse 3 is that He wanted to make them know. K-N-O-W. He wanted them to know. Remember, the statement is, So he humbled you and allowed you to hunger and feed you with manna, which you did not know, uh, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man shall not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord. Jesus quoted those words. Because you see, They're constantly true. The the Jews had a temptation in the wilderness. The same temptation existed while the Lord lived on earth, and it is still a temptation in 2017 A.D. What is it? To put our emphasis on the flesh rather than on the spirit. And if you doubt that this is a problem, then I would have to say to you, you're not paying attention to the people in the world around you. What are people in our world most concerned about today? Is it spiritual matters? Is everybody flocking to places of assembly? Is everybody saying, tell me what the Bible says so I can follow it? No. How do I get a raise? How do I get a bigger house? How do I get more cars? How how do I get more clothes? How do I get... The question for us is, do we believe that God has a purpose for us today? Has He delivered us from sin by the blood of Jesus? Has He led us with His Word so that we might know how to serve Him? Has He provided us with the resources that we need to carry out His mission on earth? And if so, has He done all of that for nothing? Is there no no purpose behind all of that saving us and providing for us and equipping us? Is there no purpose in that? We need to bow before His throne. And we need to pass the test of obedience. And we need to put the kingdom first rather than our physical cravings and desires. Moses adds something else. Remember God's plan. When you come to verses 7 through 9, Moses says this, For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land of brooks, of water, of fountains and springs that flow out of the valleys and hills, a land of wheat and barley, of vines and fig trees and pomegranates, a land of olive oil and honey, a land in which you will eat bread without scarcity, in which you will lack nothing, 
a land whose stones are iron and out of whose hills you can dig copper. The God who had delivered his people from Egypt and led them through the wilderness and provided for their needs while in the wilderness was still in charge. Nothing had changed. He was not going to abandon them when they crossed over the Jordan River into that land of promise. He had great blessings in store for them. In fact, more blessings than they had ever seen before. More than they could imagine. And what Moses is saying here is not just blind optimism. He's not saying, I think this is going to happen. God has told him, this is what you tell the people. God it has blessings in store for you. Hopeful preview of what a good God would give his people. But you know, there's a warning here as well. If you look at verse 11, beware. That's a warning. Beware that you do not forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments, his judgments, and his statutes, which I command you today. You see, there can be peril even in blessings. Even when God is giving his people more than they need, more abundantly than they can imagine, there can be peril. Because we might be tempted as some would be tempted according to Moses in verse 17. Then you say in your heart, my power and the might of my hands have gained me this wealth. We did it. We did it ourselves. As you and I move forward during a time of transition, I'm encouraging you today to put your confidence in a God who has blessed us, is blessing us, and will bless us. If we remember. If we remember that it is really his power, his strength, his wisdom, his word that we turn to for our guidance. I'm not exactly sure how this message was received when Moses first spoke it. I know they heard it, but did they heed it? Today I'm not just asking you to be optimistic about the future of Graber Road. I'm urging you to remember God's goodness and let that goodness prompt you to be obedient to him. Not only today, but in the future. And to secure the future of this congregation by not only your participation, but by your following of God's will. If we all do that, the future is bright. We haven't talked this morning about obeying the gospel in primary obedience, as we sometimes call it. What's necessary to become a Christian. We don't close a service without offering that opportunity. And so we do that same thing this morning. If you're not a Christian, we want you to become one. We'd like for you to be a part, not only of our spiritual family, but of the kingdom of God. And you do that by putting your faith in Jesus as the son of God. Of moving or turning away from your past sins so that you might live a different life in repentance. Confess his name. And allow yourself to be immersed in water so that your old life can end and a new one can begin. He will add you to his church 
and you will enjoy blessings that you can only imagine and beyond what you can imagine. If you're a Christian, you're not living faithfully and you need us to pray with you, we will. If you need to come, do it while we stand and sing, please.